Welcome to the wonderful world of dance, bringing you exclusive interviews with top dancers and choreographers and reviews of the world's best companies across the globe. You can find lots more on our website at thewonderfulworldofdance.com. Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful World of Dance, and today I'm pleased to introduce the amazing choreographer Kenneth Tindall, Kenny, who has created the ballet Casanova for the Northern Ballet. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Savannah. Thanks for the lovely intro. So lovely to have you today. I'm a huge fan of the Northern Ballet and can't wait to see the world premiere of Casanova in March next year. So what I wanted to firstly talk to you about before turning to the choreography and to Casanova specifically, you were a dancer yourself. I'm interested to learn how you came to dance when you were young. Um, I was a dancer myself. Yeah, that's um, absolutely correct. Um, I started when I was eight years old at the Central School of Ballet. Uh, and it's an unusual story, I guess. Uh, my parents are from a working class background. And really, ballet was not part of our life or on the radar at all. I grew up in London. Uh, and the council at the time, I think it was Camden and Islington, they held a chance to dance course where they did an outreach program to local primary schools for talented individuals or anybody that so showed aptitude um, in PE or physicality or that, that might be interested. And anyway, I was sent along to an audition and that was that I ended up. Uh, winning a place at the ballet school and then from eight years old until I was 18 uh, I stayed at Central School of Ballet until I graduated into Northern Ballet. And when did you know that you wanted to be a dancer? So you've gone off, you're eight years of age, you've you know been told you've mm. got some aptitude, when did you personally know? A lot, lot, lot later than that. I can definitely tell you it wasn't at eight. It was, it was at 16 when you have to make the choice to go full-time training or not into the vocational schools. Um, and that really means the absolute sacrifice. You cannot do any other sport, any other, any other thing really against it. Um, and that was really when the decision was made for me because it was taking on that complete sacrifice to make this your career and your life so that you could... Uh, make it to a level which would hopefully uh, get you a job. So I would say 16. And I know Camden and Islington really well. I live not too far, oh, in fact. <laughs> um, and I can imagine, as you say, a working class background, boy going to ballet. How was that as a, as a teenager? Um, it was, it's awkward because you don't really tell anyone. There is no culture for that sort of thing. So there's a lack of understanding. Um, and as a kid, you, you're pretty attuned going into, you know, regular secondary school. That's not going to fly with most of your friends. They're not going to be behind that. They're going to think it's a bit weird um, and there's something wrong with you. So for a long time, it just my close friends knew. And once they had seen contemporary class and ballet class, it was sort of like, where do we sign up? The girls are amazing. So that that really helped. But other than that, it was kept quite quiet. And I managed to sort of fly under the radar for quite some time I think it also helped that my father was a black belt in martial arts and it was like you know don't don't mess with that kid his dad's a bit crazy yeah exactly so and I guess I had the right group of friends and it was quite smooth sailing for me but I know that's not always the case and it can be you know really hard in uh, urban schools to to pursue that sort of 
career and not be bullied. Yes, I think you, you, you very much will be an inspiration to many young boys around the world um, who will listen to your experience and feel positive about their desire to move into dance. I'm also interested in your experience at the you know, famous Central School of Ballet. Tell us about that. Mm. Do you know, I look at, back at my time at school as one of the fondest memories of my life because, you know, you, it's, to put into context, you're at regular school every day and, you know, academic schooling just, it, it wasn't for me. It's really geared towards a, a specific set of skills that I wasn't interested in or, you know, you know, they bored me and I didn't have a talent for them. If it wasn't for being able to express yourself and let that out in dance or in a creative way, I don't know quite what, a, what my future would have been. Um, and so the school was like a sanctuary um, of like-minded people and suddenly you just feel like you fit in and, and everything is right. And to be amongst that, it doesn't matter how hard the work gets, it just feels like the right place. And for that, you were willing to get up at six o'clock in the morning, travel in the dark, you know, be physical all day, then travel home in the dark because it just, it feels like home and it feels right. And you're among, it's like going to Hogwarts, I guess, you know, it's just, you're like amazing. This is, this is, and I, I remember it fondly because I think I had such great teachers that not only taught, but nurtured and gave you a love for dance. You know, it's, it's quite hard to do that because you're all trying to pursue technical excellence and make the dancers the best they can be. In that journey, you forget they are still just children learning and that they have to love what they're doing and to find a way to encourage that whilst you're drilling them every day and telling them this is not good enough, that doesn't look right, you know, you need to change your body shape, but still remember why and what the aim is and how, and how to do that through a love and a learning for the art that you want to, to go into. And that love that you talk about and that dedication and devotion to pound every single day with your, mm. bod your, your body, your mind and your soul, where does that for you come from? You know, how, how does that feeling, how can you describe that feeling? Uh, I don't know how to describe it because it's kind of sick in a way as well. You know, it's like an absolute desire and obsession. Like you, if you don't do your bar work, you don't do your classwork, it's kind of a form of brainwashing. You don't feel okay. It's like it has to be done. It just is an absolute must. You can't even compute that there could be any other way because it's just so hard and it's physically so hard that it just has to be like, this is what I have to do. Like I brush my teeth because I have to brush my teeth. And then the love is because there is something once all of that hard work goes into it and all of that detail and all of the behind us and the many, many hours rehearsing and then you go onto stage and you're set free. But also it's just you're doing something you love and it doesn't feel like a job. Such a privilege. And I think, yeah, it's a privilege. It is a privilege. And it's also a desire to always keep pushing yourself. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your teacher are or how good your school is. If the individual doesn't push themselves to their maximum, you won't get to where you need to go to. And I think that's a big part. And you learn to love that. Absolutely. And so when you graduated from Central School of Ballet, did you go mm. directly to a ballet company? Was it Israel or K-Ballet? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I directly went into Northern Ballet. Oh, you for did? Yeah. Oh. I did under a completely different director. And at the end of my first year, David Nixon came into the company 
as the director. And as a new director, he wanted to put his stamp on the company and bring some of his dancers from America. And also, you know, this is my vision and the way it's going. Yeah. And unfortunately, I was the dancer on the newest contract. Wow. So for want of a better word, I was fired. Yes, last in, first and, out. And, and, <laughs> yeah, last in, first out, exactly. And it was a, a, a quick, you know, coming from this school where you're mm. nurtured, looked after, um, suddenly, you know, you're by yourself with not that nurturing and not being looked after every day and you suddenly you've got to do everything for yourself. It's a big change. And then you learn a harsh reality immediately that you are not safe. You know, there's many people um, competing for that job and this is just a harsh circumstance of the business and I'm, it's not personal, but thank you very much. We no longer require your services. And so you learn quickly, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because you do grow in confidence as you go through school, especially as you're doing well. And then you come into a new environment and you're no longer the same status that you thought you were, but you might come in with a bit of youthful arrogance and you don't keep the work rate up. And then something like that happens to you and you have to learn that the only way to succeed is to continually always have the best work rate in the room. Like you can't, that never goes, never goes. And so that taught me that lesson. And I, I left, I went to Pineapple Dance Studios and a friend of mine was there and I said, oh, listen, I've just lost my job and it's really late. Like I've missed all the audition. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, listen, I'm in Israel Ballet. I'm loving it. They're looking for guys. The ballet master's here. Why don't you tell him? So I told him the ballet master watched me do class and then he offered me a job. Um, and so that was a little bit of luck of circumstance. And Israel offered me the opportunity to do incredible rep because for some reason they just have everything, Balanchine, Cranko. Uh, and so I got to get my feet wet in that world. But it also gave me time because I knew no one there to just practice my craft, to spend the time building up my body in the gym outside of the hours and to just really hone in and think about where, what it was and where I wanted to go next from there while I was gaining really good experience. And it must have been quite extraordinary to live somewhere so very different to home. Oh, my God. I was severely homesick when I first left. And that shows you the love for dance, that you will go that far with no friends, no family, and be completely alien and just, you know, it was hor The first few months were just horrible. It was not a good experience. I felt I just wanted to run home. But you can't. You're like, okay, we have to stick this through and we have to. So all I had to was to turn to dance. It was like, the only, like that was the common language and the common denominator that would help me through that situation. And you're like, so you just stick to it. You're like, I know this. And once I get into the studio, even if they can't speak English, we know this language and we can bond over that. The universal language of dance. The uni yeah, the universal language, which is, it's incredible. You can go, any I've just come back from Spain where I created a new piece and the majority of the company didn't speak English. And that's, a, but they can clearly without you know, the language barrier, you can clearly see what you're trying to tell them and they can, they can take it on and they can process it in their bodies. It's an incredible thing. And do you feel, having danced in Israel and danced in Japan and, and talking about mm. your choreographic um, experience in Spain, these different cultures, have they influenced your dancing and your choreography, do you feel? I think, you know, even if you don't accept it on, on a face face value level, you, your subconscious can't help but taking those things. You know, the flavors, the senses, you cannot help but be informed by it. And maybe on a practical level, you look in the studio and you see what a country is providing, the, the, uh, the energy and the focus that they're putting on the most important themes of, of the language. 
you can't help but take away. And then you see dancers and you're like, wow, you know, I love what they're doing with that. I'll, I'll take that. And yeah, so you're absolutely aware. And it definitely it comes, it comes back on you, especially when you spend a period of time somewhere, you can't help but let that. And I think the important thing is to try to analyze and observe that and, and actually take it and sit down and work out what it is that you're seeing rather than just letting it happen subconsciously, actually physically practice. I'd say to any young dancer, you'd always be watching your classmates and YouTube and as many dancers. And, and what is it? Try to form your taste and opinion as early as possible. You know, that will set you apart because it makes you, it means you have a voice. So, yes. And after uh, going off to Japan, you came back to the Northern Ballet 13 years ago now. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Um, so I left um, Israel because, you know, it was never, it was just a stepping stone. Uh, and the pay was terrible in the company, but the company was wonderful. Um, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a good way of living. And so I decided, okay, I need to move on. So I moved to Japan and it was a really a great paid job with fabulous dancers. It was a branch of the Royal Ballet at the time. It was set up by five of the Royal Ballet's principals. Um, so it had a great, great flow of um, talent going through it and it was it was very good for the ego is what it was like you, you felt like well I've really landed here these like some of the people I idolized uh, when I grew up and here I am dancing with them is amazing but at the same time it, it's not a company that really nurtured it was like you go in and this is what it is and you do what you do and you're here because you can do that but we don't invest much past that and is that so, different from the northern ballet it's completely different. And that's when I found my home and that's why I stayed so long is because of the fact that David, not only do you get a lot of performing opportunity, but they are, were very keen on nurturing you. You know, they took, I went from third year quarter ballet all the way through to principal, you know, and really working and going up at the right pace to those things and being built and coached and nurtured into it. So, that and the fact that they do so many narrative ballets and that you get to play so many characters, that became a really huge appeal to me um, later on in my career, where you effectively were not yourself anymore. You were going on with Dracula, you know, Heathcliff, and you were being all of these amazing characters that you would, you would love to fantasize about being for a day. And here you were on the stage getting to play them, but then to actually get under the skin and to be coached and to have dramaturgs come in and tell you, this is, you know, th this happened. And when the writer was writing, they were going through this. And so, you know, that's why we have that. And it, it just became so much deeper on so many levels. And then you were using your technique um, and then hopefully your individual artistry to, to create these works. And that's why I think I stayed with the company until I retired. And at what point did you start becoming interested in choreography? Um, and this is a really funny one because I wasn't interested in choreography at all. Um, and in 2011, when I say that, I, I didn't have any you know, aspirations to be at the front of the room and the guy doing the steps. But what I absolutely did love to do was be created on and also be given free reign in the room. So it got to a point near the end of my career where me and David had worked together so much that the collaboration, it didn't really even need words. We knew, I knew what he was after and he knew what I was capable of delivering. And then he would come in and just give me, he would guide me, but I would be formulating the material. So I guess in a sense it began there, but I hadn't admitted that or had ever tried my hand at choreography until 2011 when Northern Ballet had their first choreographic lab. 
And we do an enormous amount of shows at Northern Valley. It goes from 108 to 225, I believe, um, anywhere between that a year, which is, is, uh, yeah, I don't think there's many companies, if any, that do that many with a, with a size of like 46, I think the company is at the moment. So there was two weeks at the end of one of the seasons in 2011 where they were going to have their first choreographic lab because they've moved into this incredible purpose-built building with seven studios. And finally, they had the space to be able to, to do that for the first time. And uh, David said to me, oh, I think you should choreograph a really, just, just try a bit of choreography for this lab, take three dancers, do six minutes. And I said, no, not for me. I think what I'm going to do is I'd much rather um, take the two weeks rest like I've, we've done 180 shows of which, you know, you've been a principal in the majority of them and you're just tired. You know, you see two weeks at the end of the season that you can take it easy and you think this is a good time for me to rest. Um, I feel quite tired. I'm carrying injuries. Just rest. So he left it and he said, okay, fine. And then he came back and said, I, I really, I'd really like you to try. You know, I think it would be a good idea. No, 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 David, I'm not interested. So third, third time comes back and says, listen, if you don't do just a short piece, I'll put you in everybody else's pieces and you'll have to dance in everybody's pieces. And I was like, hey, I'll do six minutes with three dancers. And that's where it began. So I made this really short work um, of six minutes. Um, it was called Bitter Earth. And my wife entered it into a choreographic competition without me knowing. And we were accepted. Wonderful. And David said, yeah. <laughs> uh, they said, well, we have to send you. That's like the best choreographic competition in the world. It was Hanover Choreographic Competition, which is apparently quite famous. And naive to the point, I'm not even close. I'm not even aware of the choreographic world or what you would be doing in it. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. And then Northern say, we'll pay for you guys to go. And I'm like, oh, wow, we're going to go to Germany on a little trip, you know, me and six dancers. This is quite fun. We turned up, we sat in the auditorium for the first day and we went um, showing our piece and we just, the dancers left after two pieces because they were incredible and it made them nervous. And I just sat there like, oh my God, what has happened and why are we here? Um, but I had my mind blown because I was just like, this is phenomenal. Anyway, somehow we went on to win a prize at that competition and that's where it all started. Fantastic. Uh, what, a, what a story. Yeah. And thanks to so, your wife. <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, because, you know, I was just like, She's like, I've entered you into this competition and you're in the final. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And then, then I sheepishly asked David, like, and I wasn't even bothered. I just say, David, there's this competition we've been accepted in, like, but I don't have the money. Do you think? And he was like, yeah, we have to send you. It's a really big deal. And I was like, oh, right, great. Okay, okay. That's <laughs> amazing. And now you've and created... Prize... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. The yeah, prize. So then the prize for that was to go to Hamburg Ballet and play on their junior company, where Fantastic. I got mentored by John Neumeier, who's one of the most famous narrative choreographers mm -hmm. in the world. Um, you know, and then it all became real very quick, and it snowballed very, very quickly for me. Um, you, you must have learned a lot through that experience. Yeah, like tons. And such a generous... The other thing that you have to be thankful in your career is that people take the time to pass on the information and pass it down yeah. and sometimes in ballet that happens so well you know David has been so generous with his time and with his knowledge as was John and you just think you know it's it's that help and guidance that allows you to to blossom quickly I think and so now you've created Casanova for the Northern Ballet it looks like a, yes. a, dec a decadent and gorgeous production please tell me about yes. the story <laughs> Well, we're in, we're, in, we're in production right now. We're in the stage of choreographing it um, right at this moment in time, actually. Uh, and it has been a 
How's it? It's been a, a, an incredible learning curve, um, an emotional roller coaster, um, and it has just been fabulous so far. I have the most incredible team around me uh, bringing the vision to life, which has just been so rewarding to work with great creatives, learn their processes, have their support, uh, and to bounce off them to, to bring this story to life. Um, the set and costume designer is Christopher Oram, who's never worked with ballet before, but is a huge deal in the theatre world. Uh, he's right at this moment in time creating the set and costumes for Disney's Frozen on Broadway. Um, so he's a really big catch for us. And he's also a wonderful period specialist. So the perfect person to ask when I said, how do we deconstruct how do we take inspiration from the 18th century but how do we deconstruct the look and bring it with a modern edge so that it's relevant to an audience of today which i think from the images you can see he's done amazingly well with yeah and then uh, i'm working with a film composer because you know it is an 18th century topic but what i didn't want to do is have everything just pointing in that direction so i was clear that i didn't want to use vivaldi Mozart, any of the classical, and I wanted it, the curtains to go up enough to see something completely different um, that absolutely represented that world, but actually was a fresh take on it. So um, I commissioned uh, film and TV composer Kerry Muzzy, who's based in LA, uh, and we've uh, Skyped for over 10 months now back and forth to create the, the music, which is just a, an incredible thing that like I was saying to you earlier technology, just <laughs> that you can, you know be working with someone in LA absolutely face to face and as close as possible uh, while you create this intimate work, which is uh, phenomenal. And then we have um, the, the great expertise of Ian Kelly, who wrote Casanova, Casanova's biography in 2008. Uh, and it received the Sunday Times biography of the year. He's also a Casanovist which is incredible. And then on top of that, he's also uh, a playwright and an actor, which is just brilliant for me because he knows both sides of the process, but from a different perspective. So we have like this just wealth of knowledge and experience behind the project, which is just beyond helpful, as you could imagine. And then finally, the whole world's brought together by the lighting designer, Alistair West, who's worked with me from the beginning on absolutely everything I've done. And he just, we really don't have to speak. We're just on the same level. I'm, I'm interested, as you said, you're in the middle of um, choreographing. How, how do you mm. approach uh, your creation? Do you cre create it on dancers? Do you create it yourself in a studio? What's your approach? Well, it's a really interesting thing because until now, you know, this is really my first full-length narrative. So your process that's worked for more abstract values or shorter narratives is going to be completely different to something that is over 100 minutes long. So in, uh, the brief answer is in a, in, in a various uh, combination of ways and all of the, the above. But I like to go in and I like to make sure that the material is born from the source material of the scenario. So that's our absolute starting point. The, the themes or the atmosphere, really the intention of every movement is really born from that place so that the story makes sense. That's the absolute starting place, which can be quite slow at the beginning. 
then I like to create material that I will use in a framework. I don't construct immediately. First, I make the sort of material, the, the sort of language I'm trying to, to get across in that scene, and I build it that way. And then sometimes that's with a dancer, sometimes it's on myself, but I like it to be as collaborative as possible because at the end of the day, the dancers have to deliver that. So I feel that if you work together to create it, first of all, you know, three, four minds is way better than one and you get many more options. Yes, it's your vision. You have to cut, shape and edit it, but you absolutely want that mind in front of you thinking and working towards solving the same problem as you. It would be silly not to utilize it. So that's the main way for me to go into it. And what is your vision for Casanova? Do you have a, a, a big set vision? Yes. I mean, before I ever make a step, first I have to see the world. It's always, I always think of the audience, the entertainment value, the theatricalness, and how, what it is, what, what, what it opens, how it ends, what, what, what am I trying to say? What do I want you to take from the evening? So all of those things are decided way before you step in the studio, like the structure is there and born. Uh, and I think my vision is that you learn more than you thought. Hopefully, most people don't know too much about Casanova and what they do know is only as the serial lover. Yes. And I think that going into the project, I was much the same. And as I've gone into it, obviously, and talked to Ian, I've been astounded to learn of actually what he was involved in, what he did and the way he lived his life. Um, and I think a big part of it is to put into context that, yes, it's probably the most decadent city in 18th century Europe at that point, at maybe the most decadent time, but it is absolutely a police state for certain factors. So, yes, you can be morally loose. You can have sex with pretty much anyone, but you cannot social class jump and you cannot mess around with knowledge that was enlightenment, geometry, Kabbalah, anything that would seem heresy to the church. So that became a really um, interesting um, playoff for me. And I didn't know he was a trainee priest. I didn't know he was a violinist. I didn't know he spoke seven languages and he translated the Iliad. I mean, that takes a, lot, a huge amount of energy and resource to manage that in one lifetime, let alone the amount of conquests. Wow, so he sounds absolutely became, amazing. Yeah, because you get to, what's fascinating is you get to meet these people who are going to bring them to life for you, but you, you also get it against this gorgeous backdrop of 18th century Venice or mm. Paris or Europe. And you're just like, you know, masquerades, gambling in ridottos. It's just, it, I mean, really, it's the stuff of fiction, but it's not. And that's what makes it incredible that we're taking a ballet from fact, which doesn't often happen. And that's exciting. And an absolute real man. And we are, everything that takes place in the ballet absolutely is in the memoirs. That's really quite, um, to be able to be so close to the source is quite amazing. Yeah, and also someone that is like a specialist in that source is just invaluable to have that next to you because you can say, this, this really excites me, I'd really like to look into this, but how, where would this be placed? And well, actually you can have her in gambling in Venice. She absolutely would have been there. She would not be at Versailles and she would not be in the social standing to, you know, and it's absolutely like perfect. Okay, great. Well, you really have cre created and drawn just from talking with you this incredible world which we are going to enter um, next year, which I, I can't wait to see this. It just sounds so utterly beautiful and absorbing. Um, but before we finish up, I wanted to just ask you, um, who has been your greatest influence in your choreography? 
you know, I get asked this question all the time and it's so tough because, you know, you know why it's so tough? Because I'm inspired by so many things on such a wide variety of places. I see break dancers, which I, you know, I have no aptitude for whatsoever and it blows my mind. So I try to distill some of what I'm seeing in front of me. Um, there is masters that have been and gone or are still here that are just phenomenal, like Forsyth and Killian. There's the stuff I've grown up around every day and seen every day. You know, there is so many people that it's just, and in so many forms, it's book, it's film. Um, we're just overwhelmed, you know, with senses and candy for the eyes, aren't we? It's so hard to pick. I find that question, uh, and I don't know if there is a single source, but constantly I find something new and think, wow, that's just brilliant. How did that happen? I want to, I guess I'm most impressed when I cannot work out the process. When I sit there and I just think, how did you make that happen? Where, how did you even start that? Where, where your mind's just completely blown. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're just completely blown. You're sitting there. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even know, you know, one foot in front where you began with that. And I, that I absolutely adore. And when you've seen so much theatre, that becomes harder and harder to do. But absolutely. it's often in the simplicity. And then it just, you're like, wow. Yeah. And my final question is... What advice would you give to other aspiring, aspiring male dancers and choreographers out there listening? You have to be, first thing is not afraid to fail. You cannot be perfect in this business. It does not exist. You have to put one foot in front of the other and you just have to try. And the more you try and the more honest you are with yourself, try to work out your strengths and weaknesses as quickly as possible and work on them both. You know, work on your weaknesses as much as your strengths. Um, and always try to be the hardest working person in the room. Well, that is... I think that's the best advice I can give, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect advice. Well, thank you so much, um, Kenny, for talking to us. And for people listening, you can get some more information and book those tickets um, on the Northern Ballet's website, track them down on social media for their tour schedule, which is kicking off um, in March next year and going around the country. Thank you so much, Kenny. Oh, thank you, Savannah. Okay, great. We're done. Super. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm sorry I took up so much <laughs> no. of your time, but you're so bloody interesting. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I don't know. Once you get start yapping, you can't stop, can you? No, that's just that's just wonderful. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I can't wait to sort of um, publish this. It's going to be going to be great. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Savannah. Enjoy right. the rest of your time in Thailand and Asia. I'm Thank jealous. You. Great stuff. And I will see the company next year when I'm back. Brilliant. Okay. Take care. I'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.